May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, It was tough sleeping. Didn't help that he slept on a straw mat in a small two-room home. It was hot, dusty. Uh, The place always smelled a little off, especially by modern-day standards. Uh, There's always a hint of feces or urine kind of going through the the air. Like, you you know, when you go by the... uh, cattle yards. That was their daily life. That's how it smelt. And he couldn't sleep. He was tossing and turning. And uh, since they didn't have a select comfort, he kept waking his wife. He finally got up. He just thought, you know, this isn't working. I'm just going to get up. And he, he peeked his head into the room next door. He could hear the breathing of the little people. The little guys, 11 mouths. One of them, two of them, three of them weren't so little anymore. They were starting to eat him out of house and home. They, he would regularly joke about, do you have a hollow leg? Uh, they would call them the garbage disposals, you know, any food that nobody else wanted to eat. The, they'd just toss it to those three kids in their teenage years, and they would polish it off. And he kept wrestling because because he could hear their stomachs growling. He was always just perplexed with, how am I going to feed my kids? And he had seen the horrors of when you don't have enough food for your kids. They'd lived it firsthand. They had lost a child to malnourishment, They lost a child to God knows what. Their village didn't have a doctor. Village barely had running water at some parts of the year. And he knew in just a few hours' time the sun would be up and he would be out in the fields and he would be seeking, hoping, praying, trying anything he could to get those seeds to grow. Anything he could to get the field to produce food again for his family. It's been a couple lean years. This particular night, he was laying in his bed. He was frustrated. He was nervous. He was worried. And it was even more compounded because of some irritating rabbi he'd heard earlier in the day. His family had lived in Galilee as long as he could remember, and Galilee is a beautiful place. Galilee is gorgeous. It has rolling green hills. It, it has in the springtime and in the summer beautiful wildflowers that grow on the landscape. It has wildlife. This particular day, he had found himself in a crowd of people, not just him, his whole family, They were in a crowd of people, and they were on a mountainside, and this young rabbi sat down and started teaching them. He had shared shared, shared just mind-blowing concepts. He didn't sleep well. 
This wasn't the first time he had heard rumor of this particular sermon from others. Uh, this rabbi, where he would travel, he would share these things over and over and over again. It was like a stump speech, like a politician. But they didn't have television and radio and podcasts and computers and the internet and TV and uh, newspaper. And so if this young rabbi wanted to get the word out, he had to just say it over and over and over and over again. And this guy was pretty sure the 12 that had been following for a long time were sick of hearing it. But the interesting thing is, even if he got sick of hearing it, there was no denying that what he said smacked of impossibility. Especially when you had 11 mouths to feed. Especially when you have 11 growling tummies. Especially when you'd seen the devastating effect of not having enough. So he tossed and he turned and he waited for the morning light. wanted to give us a feel for perhaps how a first century person heard Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. I wanted to give us a feel because I think oftentimes when we read these pieces of his sermon, we instantly jump to us. And we forget how hard life has been for the vast majority of people who have ever lived on planet earth. Not only how hard it's been, but how hard it currently is for the vast majority of people who have lived on planet earth. I have said numerous times that you and I live in the Disneyland of world history. We have conveniences that kings and queens of days of old could never dream of. And what we want to look at today is one of the knots of Jesus. We've been looking at the knots of Jesus, the big knots, the, the things that he says not to do. And if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know that these aren't things that religions are known for. Religions are known for all sorts of knots. Religions are known for all so, sorts of don'ts. But these aren't those kinds of knots. These are knots that we need to be known for. These are knots that if we were known for these, this would bring about a radical change in church life, in the world, in Ray. First one we looked at was fear not. Second one we looked at was judge not. And today, well, let's see what it is. Do not worry. Do not worry. That's why I wanted to put it into the first century. I wanted you to hear what perhaps one of Jesus' early hearers of this sermon was experiencing in life. Because the vast majority of people who heard this sermon that Jesus preached were peasants, were poor, were living day to day, did not know where their next meal was coming from. And he had the audacity to say, do not worry. I hope that that puts a different spin on it for you. 
Because when we think of do not worry, my guess is we don't struggle with what Jesus said in this passage. We struggle with something, and it's significant what we struggle with, but it's a little different. Jesus said, do not worry. Now, there's some dots, obviously. This must be taken out of context somehow. So let's learn about the context. He says this, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Whenever you see a therefore, you have to ask yourself, what's it there for? What is the therefore there for? Because a therefore says that he's referring back to something else. And whenever you see a therefore, you have to realize this is saying something about what's already been said. And when we fail to grasp that, we fail to grasp what the scriptures, what this verse is teaching us. It'd be kind of like getting a Dear John letter or Dear Mary letter. And you read, you know, your feet stink, therefore. And if all you read is what says after the therefore, you may be hopeless. But if you read feet stink, if I get my feet to not stink, there's hope for me, right? You need to keep the therefore in mind. Here Jesus says, therefore, he's relating to something that came before. Now, one of the problems that we have in Bibles today is that somebody came along and put verses in. These were people who came along a long time ago and to benefit you, put some verses in. And not only that, in my Bible, people have made paragraphs. And not only that, people have put in punctuation. And not only that, people have put in titles and subtitles. And none of that is in the original Bible. In fact, punctuation's not even in the original. That's irritating. Because we all know punctuation matters. Now, this seems like it's offset from the other parts. Because it says, oh, do not worry. This part's about do not worry. But Jesus said, therefore. So therefore, we need to figure out what he's saying. Uh, let's look at the verse right before that. Right before Matthew 6.25. This would be Matthew 6.24. He says this. Do I have it in there? Maybe I don't have it in there. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, feel different? Feel different when you read the words, the verses beforehand? Now, before the longtime church people tune me out and go, oh, great, money talk. And before the short-term Christian church people tune me out going, see, told you, that's what they always talk about here. I want to let you know, that's not exactly what we're talking about here. We're going to be talking about something different than money. We're going to be talking about some relationship to something, but it's not just money. Now, if you keep this in a first century context, and Jesus continues, and he says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. I have to ask myself, have I ever, ever, ever worried about those things? What I will eat, 
what I will drink, and what I will wear. Now, you all have seen me for 12 and a half years get up in front of you and preach, and clearly wearing things is not one of my primary concerns. I like to wear things. I just don't care too much about what I wear. It's not a big deal to me. It's not a status symbol. In fact, my dad ruined it all for me because when he was traveling around the world in, uh, no, just, he, he was a controller for Samsonite Corporation and he had to go overseas quite regularly and he had to go to the Far East quite regularly. He went all around the world and he visited factories and he went to one particular factory and they were making shirts. And this particular factory line, every other shirt went to a different place in the factory line. The shirts that went this way got a little polo horsey stitched on it. And the shirts that went to this part of the line got a little Levi's Docker stitch on it. This pile of shirts cost a lot more than this pile of shirts. And my dad, being an accountant, thought, I can get the exact same quality of shirt because it's made in the exact same factory for half the price. By the way, I get a lot of my shirts from my parents who find these things on sale at Macy's for like 75% off to half off. And I like that. And I realize that I read these things and I've never worried about what I will eat, what I will drink, what I, I, I can't say that, where are we going for lunch? What are we having for dinner? I can't place that into the category of worry. I can't place that into the category of, it woke me up at night. Oh, my gosh. Oh, geez. Breakfast is in a couple hours. <sighs> what am I going to eat? What are we going to have? You know, dinner is just around the corner. What are we going to eat? What are we going to have? And when I say, what are we going to eat? What are we going to have? I'm thinking, tear through the refrigerator. Look in the, look in the freezer. Check out the cupboards. There's stuff to eat. If there's not stuff to eat, then we can go and exchange things we've earned for food at the grocery store. And there was only a brief period of time in Ray that that got a little dicey. And for the most part, these are things that I don't worry about. Not even for the most part. I don't worry about this. Do you? Do you worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear? I mean, clearly we don't worry about these things the way that his audience that first heard this worried about these things because his audience who heard these things, many of them did not know what they would eat the next day. This was a legitimate concern because if you don't eat, you die. Some of you, you needed to hear that for some reason. These folks are on the razor's edge of life, not knowing if they will live and die the next day because they don't have a refrigerator, a freezer, a cupboard, a grocery store. And I wonder how they heard those words. Would this be the sermon I would choose to preach 
in sub-Saharan Africa? Village that's struggling to make ends meet? It's been decimated by Ebola, famine, lack of water. (laughs) Hey, gang, got some news for you. Don't worry. Be happy now. You callous, you insensitive. Probably not what I would choose to preach on. Jesus, however, preaches this. Let's keep reading, see what he says. Is not your life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? And the implied answer is, well, yeah, my body my, my life is more important, and my body is more important. Look at the birds of the air. And by the way, they were outside. They're outside. He's on a mountainside. Uh, kind of, you know, maybe Jesus miraculously made all these birds appear. Check out the birds. Of course, he didn't have to make that miraculously happen. Right now, we've got tons of birds in town who wake me up at about uh, 4.30 in the morning at my house. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Now, the interesting thing is you can't walk away from this passage and go, well, that means I don't have to do anything. Have you ever watched a bird? Their whole day is spent feeding themselves. They wander around, they fly around, everywhere they go, they're finding things to eat. And if they're not finding things for themselves to eat, they're finding things to take back to the nest to feed little ones. Their whole day is spent gathering food, water. And so clearly Jesus isn't telling us, so therefore, just sit around. Food will magically appear. The Bible commends industrious, hard workers The ant, it says in Proverbs. Consider the ant. It works hard. (laughs) And here Jesus is saying, be like a bird, but ultimately, where does their provision come from? Ultimately, where does the bounty of all the earthworms come from? Where does the bounty of all the sunflower seeds come from? The bounty of all the water that the bird is just able to find? Where does it all come from? And Jesus says it's from God. And surely God cares more for you than he does a bird. Then he continues. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? What if I were to preach the opposite of this message? Do worry. Give it a try. It's really going to make a difference in your life. You know, I've been worrying for 46 years now, and I've got to let you know. I'm going to testify to the power of worry. I mean, I could get all crazy, and, you know, I have been worrying for 46 years, and here's the beauty of worry. The vast majority of things I've worried about didn't happen, and it's because I worried about it. Amen? That's why I'm wider than I am when I was 17. Because I worried. 
about where my food would go. I mean, that's asinine. That's stupid. Nobody would think, oh, yeah, the answer is worry. Thanks, man. Glad I came to church. Appreciate it. If the converse was true, don't trust God, worry. Do you believe that? Yet how many of us live our lives that way? Don't trust God. Worry. How many of us live our lives that way? Because one of the scholars I read this week said that worry is practical atheism. It is an affront to God. To worry is for us to say, I do not believe that God cares about me or has my best interest or my well-being in mind. To worry is to basically say, I am an atheist. There is no God who cares about me and provides for me. To worry is saying, I'm not making that up. Jesus is saying this. In a moment, we'll go back to our context because we need to keep this in our context so we can see the full message that Jesus is giving us. He goes on and he says, I mean, you can't even add a single hour to your life by sitting around worrying. That should be a a demotivator for worry. He goes on and he says, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire or you spray Roundup on it or whatever, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Uh, The Greek says, you little faithers, you. (laughs) Little faithers. It's not that you don't have faith. It's just that your faith is small little faithers. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Now, before we... Pagans sounds like a slur here, and I don't want you to see it as a slur. It's actually the Greek word ethne. And all throughout Matthew, it's usually translated the nations. And what Jesus is comparing and contrasting here is he's saying those people who do not believe in God, those people who do not follow Yahweh, those people who do not believe in Messiah, those people who don't listen to my teaching, they chase after all these things. And it's like Jesus is setting up a test. He's setting up a trial for your faith, you little faithers. He's saying, who do you trust? Are you going to trust God or are you going to trust worry? You're going to trust God or are you going to trust your fretting? Even folks who don't believe in God worry. And it's almost like he's implying, and they should, right? They should worry. I mean, who's looking out for them? There's nobody. There's nobody looking out for those who have no faith. 
I mean, you know, if you think through it logically and to its, its, its honest end, the pagans, the, the nations, those who do not believe in a God, they are the utmost of the problem that Jesus is addressing here. The problem is materialism. And there are people who believe that the, all that exists is the material, physical world. That's it. There is no spiritual reality. There is no God. There's nothing that happens after you die. This is it, material world. Madonna wrote a really interesting song. And... It's like Jesus is saying, do you believe? Do you believe believe in a God? Do you believe in spiritual realities? Do you believe there is something more than the material world you can see and touch and interact with and fret about and worry and have and hold and touch and taste? Then he says one of the most famous lines in all the Bible one of the most misunderstood lines in all the Bible. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. What are those things that will be given to you as well? What to eat, what to drink, what to wear. Not Cadillacs, it's not in there. Then he gives us another therefore. Therefore... Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Why are we not supposed to worry? Jesus said it. No, he gives a lot of reasons not to worry. This isn't the leap of blind faith that Jesus is asking you. This is really, can I pick on some of us who are worriers? This isn't even that hard. The way that Jesus fleshes this out and puts this together, this isn't even that hard. Worry should not even be a temptation if we understand God. Now remember, when Jesus said, therefore I tell you, do not worry, it refers to things that are beforehand. And not only did he say, you cannot serve both God and money, he also says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And he has, has this whole teaching about earthly material possessions. And then he says, therefore, do not worry. What Jesus is doing here is he's telling us what our perspective should be on this material world. What Jesus is helping us understand is all those things that preoccupy our minds all day long are things that rust and moths and thieves and death will take from you. All of it. What he's saying is that if you want to live as an utter materialist, then you should worry. 
But if you want to seek after spiritual realities, if you want to seek after the kingdom of God, then don't worry. He's creating this tension for us to live out in our lives every day. So I've got a few diagnostic questions for us. My car has lights that go on, and my Buick, for several years now, has been displaying these lights. It's been ignoring the lights because I already know what the problem is. But the lights helped me figure out what the problem was. One of the problems is I need a new head gasket in my car. Problem with that is to fix it costs more than the car's worth. And I don't like it that much. <laughs> so when I drive out to the curve on 334 and back home, and I pull in my driveway, steam comes out of the engine compartment. And it's kind of cool. <laughs> and I've decided with some counsel of some friends that I may drive this thing till one day it blows up because... These friends have offered to take it off my hands and give me a couple hundred bucks for it as scrap metal. But before they do that, they're going to throw a brick on the accelerator and blow up the engine. And I want to be there for when that happens. (laughs) And I thought to myself, I could totally be there when that happens. It could happen on 34. It could happen on Main Street. I might make the paper. (laughs) I think I'll keep the car. And these lights are telling me this car needs help. That's what those lights are telling me. Wouldn't it help if you had a built-in heads-up display that would tell you, you need help? I think that's what I'm supposed to do here on Sundays. Is to... Be the flashing light on the dashboard, the one I've been ignoring so long. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And so some diagnostic questions. When you find yourself driving down the road, what do you think about? And that's a great time to figure out what it is you're thinking about. When you're driving down the road or when you're mowing the lawn, or when you're by yourself in some way, what do you think about? What are you concerned about? Because the Greek word here for worry is also the same word that's used elsewhere by the Apostle Paul that says, concern yourselves with the things of God. Are you concerned about the things of God or are you concerned about your things? Are you concerned about my goodness, how can we, how, how can I help God's kingdom? Versus, I'm concerned about my stuff. Now, don't mishear me. Stuff that you all have to be concerned about, things that I have to be concerned about, are really concerning, right? Cancer, illness, lack of money job might dry up, Ray might dry up. There's all sorts of things that could and do go wrong. 
In fact, 50% of all Christians in the world today are in the two-thirds world. Vast majority, excuse me, the, it's becoming clear that the vast majority in the next decade of Christians will be people who are poor. And when they read this, what will they think? And what will they think of churches in the West whose budgets don't reflect concern for the poor? What will they think? What will they think when Christians who say, yes, I follow Jesus, but gosh, I've got to have this and that and this and that. And we refuse to give and to share and to care. And at the end of our days, we just assume that because we believe the right things, when we get to the pearly gates, God's going to go, well done, good and faithful servant. How did it go? Living in Disneyland with a little side dish of Jesus. And I wonder if this text here, where Jesus is saying, we have two idols in our lives. One is material items. The other is worry. And the cure for these is to seek God's kingdom. That's the cure. You want to quit worrying? Seek God's kingdom. Here's what's really cool. When you start to seek God's kingdom, because you can sit there and go, oh my gosh, our church is never going to get this figured out. We're never going to have enough. We're never going to have enough people. We're never going to have enough leaders. We're never going to get this figured out. This stuff is falling apart. And by the way, that's where I live. You know, I'm paid to do that. Um, This church has been through some dire years. <laughs> I was present. It's so dire that they shared me with another church in direct violation of Jesus, therefore, where he said, you cannot serve two masters, Presbyterians and Christians. That was my own <laughs> illustration of that principle, but it's true. You will either love the one and hate the other, It's true. Jesus was onto something. You can't be a person who has a divided heart, divided loyalties. And this church has been through difficult times, but Jesus has said, I will build my church. And I love that because it's not saying, Steve will build my church. It doesn't say, You will build his church. And here's what I've learned. If you will concern yourself with God's kingdom rather than your stuff, you won't worry. Uh, You won't worry because God is about getting his stuff done. He's not about getting your stuff done. Now, can I be the first in line to go, I don't like that. I want him to do my stuff. 
I want a God who takes care of me and gives me stuff and makes sure I retire at 65 with enough stuff, make sure my kids are healthy, wealthy, and wise. That's the God I want. You know who that, what that God's name is? Steve. That God's an idiot, by the way. You do, you do not want to follow that God. You can feel free, but you're worried a lot. See, the God that we are being implored, encouraged, told to follow is bigger and better and more awesome and more powerful than that. And we need to follow him. So the basic lesson, be concerned with the kingdom of God and don't worry about yourself. Don't worry about yourself. You're not all that. You're not. Name 10 of the first city council members of Ray, Colorado. History forgot them. Nobody cares. 100 years from now, people won't care about you. 100 years from now, if the Lord tarries, none of us are all that. You know how I know this is true? Because I've done 80 plus funerals. Twelve and a half years. And those 80 people's homes and possessions and items and concerns and material possessions have all been sold at garage sales or given away to United Way or maybe handed down to somebody who cares for a period of time, but their home and their goods and their worldly possessions are now gone. Another way I know this is because I helped my dad clean out grandma's apartment after she passed away. And my dad's favorite piece, favorite tool in cleaning out grandma's apartment was the plastic trash bag. Not because we didn't love her, Grandma just had a bunch of stuff none of us wanted. I love my grandma, but none of you care. You didn't even meet her. A hundred years from now, nobody will care. But a hundred years from now, the kingdom of God will continue. Do you know how you know that? Because it's been going since the beginning. And John in Revelation says, and his kingdom will have no end. So what are you going to spend your 80-some years toiling for? The kingdom of God or yours? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would impress upon us a vision for your things. That when we drive, when we get quiet, when we're by ourselves, we would wrestle with the question, what is it I am concerned about? 
When we find ourselves, this is such an easy little reminder, whenever we find ourselves worrying, concerned about something, may that be a flashing dash light telling us we're worried about our stuff. We're worried about ourselves. And that if you really do exist and you are truly king, then I should just concern myself with you. Holy Spirit, may this be a reminder to us throughout these weeks and months and years that we are blessed with here on planet Earth to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and you will take care of us. Holy Spirit, make it so. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Concern yourself with the kingdom of God and don't worry about yourself. Amen.